Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. Do you have great expectations for the future or have you settled for the status quo? Oftentimes we feel like we don't have enough resources, education, or energy to make a difference. As a result, we give up living God's best. Today, Pastor Andy talks about how we can make a big difference through Christ. This difference starts when we live a life with great expectation of what God can do. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, everybody online at Manuel Kenosha Church. We're so happy you're with us and everybody in the house this morning. We're on week three of Christmas cheer. And in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how to find cheer in this season. Uh, we talked about the not having a spirit that is... Uh, critical, right? How not, how not to have a critical spirit. And not having a critical spirit, we need to have joy. And so joy, the definition of joy, let's just define these, is finding peace and wholeness in the person of Christ despite our momentary feelings, afflictions, and circumstances. So you might not be happy this morning, but you can find joy in the season because it's not based on our circumstances, it's based on our Savior. That was week one. Week two then, we talked about how to have a rising spirit of hope. A biblical hope desires and believes there will be a better future. Hope isn't like, oh, I hope. Hope is, I hope. It's, I know. It's realizing and desiring and believing there is a better future. And we know in Christ there is a better future. And we know in the circumstances that you're facing that Christ will get you through those and grow you stronger. And that leads us to our third week. And I am very excited about this week. It's having a spirit of rising expectation. This is a step that many of us miss in our life. We can understand joy. We can understand hope. But expectation is this. It's acting on the hope we have in Christ. It's acting on the hope that we have in Christ. It is the action. That's how we're defining it this morning. Just because you have expectations, though, doesn't mean they will come to pass. You can't be like, I'm so expecting. What are you expecting of? I'm expecting that I'm going to be a Major League Baseball player. That's what I thought when I was young, and I'm, I'm not a Major League Baseball player. My expectations were false expectations. We can expect things, and they not come to pass. It's not name it or claim it, but rather what I'm talking about is expectations that are founded upon, uh, that rest upon the hope that we have in the Lord. Uh, any expectation that you conjure up yourself, you could be letting yourself up for letdown. That's why we must find our expectation in the Lord's promises. In fact, this is our main point this morning, then we'll get into the text. Uh, Our main point this morning is this. Your expectations will rise and fall or fall on where you find hope. Your expectations will rise and fall on where you find your hope. So if it's a bad place, they will fall. If it's a good place, they will rise. Your expectations will rise and fall where you will find hope. Now, this has been a very hard and challenging year when it comes to expectations. A lot of our expectations in life have been shattered, okay? And I can't think of a better way to describe this and our expectations being shattered is in the good old United States supply chain, right? That's all we've heard about in this life right now is the supply chain is broken or the supply chain is, you know, buckling a bit, right? And so I, I, we can see this in our everyday life. We maybe, have you experienced a supply chain problem? Some of you work in the supply chain, right? And so I went to Starbucks the other day. I went to order a mocha. You think of mocha, it's just standard fare. And they're like, I'm sorry, we're out of mocha because of the supply chain. I'm like, okay, then I like a, a, um, a peppermint mocha. I'm sorry, but the mocha's, peppermint mocha's out. Yeah, the supply chain. We don't have peppermint or Mocha, all right, whatever. So I just said, forget it. Uh, we got a call from our copy machine company and said, hey, we're really sorry, uh, but we're out of toner. Toner's what, what makes things work in the copy. We're out of toner. Why? Because of the supply chain issue. Uh, now, apparently, if you're a parent and you have kids, uh, there's a run on chicken tenders, little chicken nuggets. Why? Because of a supply chain issue. I just heard this morning, I just added this, there is now a supply chain run on candy canes. You better get them or you're going to be in trouble, right? Because of, get this, the supply chain issue. I went into a restaurant, a bunch of us did. We went into a fast food restaurant and they got scared when they saw that it was more than five of us. And so what they did was they went from behind the counter, went to the door and they locked it. And I said, what are you doing? It's like, too many of you. Why? Supply chain issues. Supply, that doesn't even make sense. And I think this all started back about a year and a half ago when they said there was a coin, coin shortage. You remember that? 
coin shortage? What, what is, what's that even mean? Did you know that last year when supposedly when there was a coin shortage, they minted 1.2 billion coins? Where did they all go? But guess what? It makes sense because all they have to do is blame it on the supply chain issue. And it doesn't stop there. My brother and I, we were, uh, my brother comes here every once in a while. We were hanging out. I think we were at Tom, your, your place, Tom. And so, uh, and we were like, you know what? Um, we were a little hungry and our, whatever we were watching, it got interrupted by a national pizza, uh, pizza chains commercial. And you know, when your YouTube shows are interrupted by commercials and it says skip, I always think like, who really does this? Like who really looks at this advertising? Like, I think I'm gonna buy that, right? Who? Well, my brother, because he saw this commercial for this national pizza chain, and he's like, I'm going to order that. And so he immediately calls, goes on their app, orders the pizza. It, not only the, 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 the beautiful thing about these apps is they show you visually what happens. They started making it. They started putting it in the oven. It was going to be delivered in an hour. I thought, well, this is pretty cool. Well, an hour comes by, and there's no pizza, no delivery. And we're like, okay, that's okay. Why? Because supply chain issues, right? We, we understand that things are a little slow. But then an hour and a half, the app said it was still in the oven. We're like, man, uh, this thing's really baking. And then at the two-hour mark, we realized this pizza chain is probably on fire at this point. It's been in the oven for two hours. We, we better call them just to make sure nobody is dying. So we called them, and they said, well, when you call the, when you call the number, you get the automation. It's like, if you want to order a pizza, press one. If you have an existing order, press two. And we're like, all right, we'll press two. So we pressed two, and the phone rang. And it rang, and it rang, and then it hung up. So we called again, press two, and it rang, and it rang, and it rang, and they hung up. We did it the third time, press two, and it rang, and it rang, and it rang, and then they hung up. And I realized, I'm horrified. I'm like, this, they, this thing may be burnt to the ground. So I'm like, okay, let's call back, but this time let's press option number one. So we call back, press option number one. You know, the, you press that option if you're going to order the pizza. We pressed it, and lo and behold, immediately somebody picked up. I'm like, aha! It's like, why didn't you pick up? I'm like, oh, we're sorry. We, we actually don't make your pizza. We're just a call center in Texas. What? It's like, well, here's the deal. We're trying to call the place, and nobody's picking up. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do with you. I'm like, ah, whatever. So we jump in the car. We're like, let's just go there. We jump in the car. We go to the store, and to my horror, my jaw absolutely dropped. The place was engulfed in flames. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't, all right? <laughs> It wasn't. But to my horror, it was closed. The pizza wasn't in the oven. Nobody was there. The app was lying. The app said it was being made, then it was going in the oven. It, that's not true, guys, all right? Just I want you to know that. It's a farce. We realized, what in the world? Then we checked our credit card, and they charged us $40 for a pizza that wasn't being made. So we called up the, the, the phone number again, pressed number one, and said, Hello, what would you like to do on what you, toppings would you like on your pizza? And I said, well, 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 here, here's the deal. The place that we ordered is closed. You are taking orders for a place that won't be making them, and then you're charging them. Oh, is that so? Yeah. So we'd like a refund. Well, I'm sorry. You have to go to the store to get the refund. The store's closed. I'm sorry, but that's just not our job. And then they hung up. And I realized, oh my goodness, I don't know if you've had experiences like this. It, it, it could take even a calm person. You just start feeling it inside of your chest. Like, what is going on? And everybody goes, I'm sorry, just supply chain issues, right? That is our new excuse. It was the virus, right? Like, like well, you know, just things are disrupted because the virus. And you know, the virus is a real deal, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. But like, you know, we kind of blamed it on that. Now we're blaming it on supply chain issues. But what I see happening what I see happening in society is our expectations for things have been lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered, right? And they're just not low any longer. Our expectations are busted. They're broke. And we can, you know, kind of chuckle at some things that just don't work any longer. But what happens when our expectations are broke in our heart? Maybe instead of experiencing peace this Christmas, you just absolutely feel on edge. You feel like you're on the brink. You feel like you could just freak out. Maybe you're feeling fear in this season. Fear of the unknown. Maybe the fear of the virus or fear of, of just how life's been disrupted or fear because of just a number of unknowns, maybe financially. Or maybe you're feeling the spirit of loss. You lost something, more specifically, you lost somebody. 
And in just one week's time, you're going to be feeling that pain of their absence. A lot of us are in different places this morning. And because of those things, our expectations have been lowered or even shattered that we can even have a joyful season. But not even that. I'm talking about what the Lord can do in your life. Let's not just be sentimental Christians on one day of the year. I'm talking about your entire life. Our expectations maybe are so low of what God can do. But not all is broken. Even when it seems like everything has been busted in society, not all is broken. And that all that is not broken is found in the Lord God Almighty. He hasn't changed during this season. It may feel like everything has changed. It may feel like everything's busted in our life, but he's still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still the same, and he still has plans for you, and he can still heal your broken hearts. He can still bring out what you think is impossible. Do you believe that, church? Does your heart believe it? The gospel, by the way, has gone places like it hasn't gone during the pandemic. Do you know that? Even in Kenosha, we've gone places we've never gone before. We've reached lives we've never reached before. Even online, we've reached in even different states, and we've heard people reach out to us from across even this country through Kenosha.Church. But even our partners, our ministry partners, their whole lives have been upended. They've been on lockdown. They've been on way bigger lockdowns than we've ever experienced. They had to have a chaperone to go to the grocery store. But yeah, in Italy, our Italian partner, ministry partner, Stefano Longo, who was just in northern Italy before the pandemic, I was there in November of 2019, late November of 2019, all right? Gotten it close. During the pandemic, he has reached all the way down to Sicily. The whole span of Italy has been reached. Our African partner in South Africa, Donovan Olding, uh, I had to get this from Don, he is now in 10 African nations and he's pushing into three more. You see, the thing is, is that God didn't pause. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't stop. It expanded. It changed lives. It met people exactly where they were at, when they felt the lowest, and when they felt like everything was broke. But why is it that for many followers of Christ, me included, can our expectations go so low with what God can do? You know, often it's because we, we, we pray to God or we expect things from God and he doesn't do what we ask him to do. We think God should act a certain way. Have you done that before? You're like, God, I think this would be a good thing to do. You didn't do it. Why? Like we begin to question God. He doesn't meet our expectations. Perhaps we've been praying for that breakthrough in our finances. We just can't pay that heating bill. Maybe our relationships are on the brink, whether it be our friendships or whether it be our family, whether it be our parents or our spouse or our kids. Maybe our health has taken a turn uh, this year. Maybe, maybe it's even been your mental health. You haven't been experiencing this type of anxiety or depression in your life and you've been reaching out to God. God, just, just let it go away. And to the contrary, sometimes it gets worse. And then you begin to see everybody else in life and they seem like they have it all together. Listen, we don't all have it all together, right? We all come in here in varying degrees of just being a mess, right? Can we say that? But yet we see life, we compare our life to somebody else's life and we begin to say, why can they move on? Why can they keep going but my life is paused? They're receiving things I've been praying for and you feel alone in these moments. You feel alone, but you're not alone. God has been walking alongside of you, and he wants you to bring into his expectations that although your circumstances may be busted, although your circumstances aren't playing out the way that you would write them if you're writing a script, God knows everything about you. He knows everything that you're feeling, and he wants to bring you through it. The key in living in the right expectations is making sure we're not placing our hope in our desired future, but our expectations are in line with his ways. And his ways aren't always our ways. We see this in 1 Corinthians 1.25 because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God's foolishness is wiser than the wisest of our, of our mindset. We think we have it figured out. We think that we can read scripture and if we find a loophole, it's okay for us. God, I got this figured out. I don't need you in this area. But no, no, what he's saying is, your wisdom, 
Your, the highest wisdom that you have is nothing compared to the Lord's most foolish moments. Now again, he's making a comparison here. The Lord's never foolish. He's all wise. But we live in a broken world and we don't have the answers to fix all our brokenness. But in the infinite wisdom of our Lord God, he does. And God doesn't want you to live with low expectations. Rather, despite our brokenness, he wants us to live a life that doesn't go it alone without him, but has an understanding of who God is. That he's infinitely wisdom. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is everywhere at once. And we can join him in what he's doing. And when you can join him in what he's doing, you can bet the farm in your mind. You, you, can, you can understand that you can take God-sized risks. I think the worst thing that we can do in this life is play it so safe that we don't even need God to show up. That's what it means by living with low expectations. God, I'm just going to play it safe today. God, I know that you could show up here. That means I might take a risk. God wants your faith to expand this morning. Not to show off in front of him, but so that he can move through you and show himself off to you. So to have rising expectations, we need to have these three things. Because your expectation will rise or fall on what you place your hope on. Three things. A heart that has conviction a heart that is eager, and a heart that's generous. Let's talk to our, about our first one here. A spirit of expectation rises from a heart of conviction. It has to rise from a heart of conviction. Now, conviction, let's define this, is a firmly held belief. If you're taking notes, write that down. Conviction is a firmly held belief. The Bible uses this word specifically for one who puts their trust into something and has been persuaded. Uh, so when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've done that, if you haven't done that, you can do that today. Uh, but when you believe that Jesus Christ is God, when you believe that Jesus Christ came to save uh, people from their sins, when you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you have conviction that he is Lord. You have conviction that he is Savior. You have conviction there's no other way for salvation except through Jesus. You are persuaded. You've put your trust into it. You have this firmly held belief. You're convinced. Now, conviction plays out then in how you treat people and how we use our possessions, uh, how we work at our jobs and uh, how we pray to God, what we believe about the Bible. It affects everything. It becomes our worldview. So a spirit of expectation rises from a heart of conviction. Let's demonstrate this. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. We'll be in a number of other passages this morning, but if you're going to turn into your Bibles, which I invite you to do that right now, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to look at how conviction played out. We're going to look at how rising expectations played out in the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And again, if you've been in the church world for more than a couple Christmas seasons, don't let the familiarity of this story make you just go on autopilot. I want you to, again, just visualize like this is the first time that you've heard the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief of priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. So we see two groupings of people that have conviction. Uh, we see the wise men and we see King Herod and all of Jerusalem. Let's talk about the wise men first. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem and the wise men came from the east, the Bible says, to come worship Jesus. Now, it's easy just to blow through that. It's like, okay, yeah, I've seen the wise men in the nativities, and, and you, know, I, you know, the wise men, they're just, yeah, they're, they're kind of weird. They just kind of show up, and okay, next, right? No, let's, let's, let's unpack this a bit. The, the wise men's going to mess your nativity set up a little bit, all right? First off, they didn't show up in the manger, all right? They, 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 they weren't at the manger. They showed a couple, a couple months later. They showed up a couple months later when Jesus was most likely in a home at that time. Sorry, you can keep them in the nativity. We understand, but it's not necessarily accurate. Sorry, Amazon and Walmart. But we see here that these magi, these wise men from the east, they came from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Now, many of these magi in uh, Persia, uh, in, in, in the area of Persia during this time, uh, were known for their false prophetic powers, their scientific studies, and even people attributed to them so-called magic. But the, magic or, the magi or the wise men in this account were a bit different. 
these magi who came to visit Jesus were undoubtedly influenced by Jewish people who were held captive in Persia. And as these Jewish people were held captive in Persia, they began explaining the Old Testament scriptures to these group of magi. And in the Old Testament scriptures are prophecies upon prophecies of the coming Messiah. Are prophecies upon prophecies of, of how Jesus would be born. And so the Magi read it, they were introduced to these prophecies, and they were convinced. Now, the books of the Bible before Jesus' time, it's called the Old Testament. Uh, these books, uh, the Old Testament books before Jesus, they recount the origins of the universe, uh, the history of, of, of uh, men and women. Uh, the history of the nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people, uh, to demonstrate to the unbelieving world who the one true God is. But it also recounts the good, bad, and the ugly of Israel, which means Israel did not live up uh, to their calling. Uh, Israel would often mimic the surrounding nations around them. They would often introduce pagan religion into their nation, and it caused Israel to fall into exile. Uh, in fact, Israel indeed did. They fell into exile, and Israel didn't come out of exile, so to speak, until 1948. So some of you may have been alive when, when Israel came back into existence, and I believe that's actually a real big answer to prophecy. And so the Old Testament recounts uh, the history before Christ, but most importantly are a number of prophecies that speak of the coming of Jesus. And this is exactly what the Magi were reading. Here's just a few selections of some of the prophecies I believe the Magi were reading. The first one talked about how the Messiah was going to be born king. This is in Isaiah 9-6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So the Magi understood a king was going to be born. A king of all kings, king of kings, were going to be born. They wanted to see him. Another prophecy they noticed out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61.1, said this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners. And so we see this king was coming to, to mend the wounds of the brokenhearted, to set captives free. Now, we can read that and say, okay, what we're looking at as a social economical uh, condition. Well, maybe, but what we're seeing here ultimately is the condition of what we find ourselves in without Christ. Without Christ, we are bankrupt. Without Christ, our hearts are not mended. Without Christ, we are captive to our sins, and we're separated from Almighty God. And there's nothing we can do to set ourselves free. There's nothing that we can do to mend our own hearts. I mean, yes, we can do some you know, therapeutic things and feel good for a moment, but it's not going to heal our hearts. And so the Messiah was going to come to actually set us free. And we know this. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, uh, he sets us free from the sting of sin. He sets us free. Not only sets us free, he, he's, he does what the Bible says, is he makes us born again. He breathes new life in us anew. The Messiah was coming for the brokenhearted. And third, the Magi undoubtedly read in Isaiah 42, 6, I am the Lord, I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand, and I'll watch over you, and I'll appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the nation. So the Messiah is going to be a covenant for the people of Israel, but a light for the entire world. So these Magi understood, holy cow. This is a Messiah that's not just a Messiah for the nation of Israel. And many people in Israel thought the Messiah was going to be just for them. He was going to take them out of the ashes, take them out of exile, make them a great nation. But they were misinterpreting this, and the wise men, pagan wise men, surprisingly, were the ones that got it. They started reading the scriptures. The Spirit of God spoke to them, opened their eyes to this revelation, and they realized this Messiah, this king, he's going to be the king of kings. He's going to save us from our sins, and he's going to be for all nations and all people. This is the beauty of Christmas. This is what they understood, is that salvation was coming for all those who receive him. And they read prophecy after prophecy. There are about 300 prophecies that speak of how Jesus would be born, the ministry he'd have, and the death that he would incur and the resurrection that he would accomplish. All those are in the prophetic words of the Old Testament. They're so specific, even places on his birth and how people would treat him and, and, and how, uh, how he would die. And did you know that 
there's over 300 prophecies of Jesus, but just to fulfill eight of them, eight of the specific ones, specifically of where he'd be born, how he'd die, how people would treat him, it's mathematically impossible. In fact, mathematicians have said if somebody just randomly fulfilled the prophecies, just eight of the over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, it'd be one to the 17th power. That's one in 100 quadrillion. One in 100 quadrillion. If you took a dollar bill and you put it edge to edge, you could take that dollar bill. This is just one quadrillion. You could go to Venus three times. It's one in 100 quadrillion, which is this. This is an old example. But if you were to take a silver dollar, put a little marking on it, and then fill all of Texas with silver dollars five feet deep, and then took that one silver dollar and mixed it in with all those silver dollars, then I, we hired a helicopter. I put you on that helicopter, and I said, okay, you tell me where you want to be dropped. And like, I'll be dropped. You're blindfolded. You move around. You pick that one silver dollar. If you were to pick the silver dollar with the marking on it in all of Texas, five feet deep of silver dollars, that's one in 100 quadrillion. That is the chance of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies. And yet the wise men saw it. They were convinced. There was another person that was convinced. We see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can worship him too. So Herod went to these wise men. He's like, hey, I'm interested. Uh, I, I, in fact, we see in earlier in scripture, he was deeply afraid. He was convinced that a king was born, but he wasn't convinced in a way that he actually wanted to worship him. He was worried about his own power. He was worried, like, if there was a king of kings coming, guess what? I'm not the big cheese, all right? I'm, I'm not the one that, that the buck stops at me. There's going to be another king? And so he's, like, he's telling him, hey, wise men, I know that you think this is going to be the king of kings and he's going to be like the Messiah and that he's for all nations, but hey, so will you go and find him for me? Then, then tell me, all right? Because I want to come down and worship him too. But we know that he's lying because in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, it said explicitly that Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Wanted to kill him. That's why Mary, Joseph, and Jesus fled to Egypt for the first few months of Jesus' life. So the birth of Jesus presents us this morning two very specific choices. Uh, we, we can be convinced, we have to be convinced, but if you are convinced and you realize, okay, I think historically Jesus was born, and historians don't doubt that. Uh, historians, very, very few historians try to wipe Jesus out of history. They're, they realize, okay, the, the, the history's here. We have, we have the historical evidence that Jesus really was born. So we are faced with a decision to receive him as king, to receive him as savior, to receive him Lord of lords of all nations, or to oppose him. Or to say, you know what, he's going to put a kink in my style. Uh, he, he's going to, you know, I, I just don't want him in my life. Maybe I can know about him. Maybe I can just, you know, dabble with him a little bit. But listen, I, I don't want him being the master of my life. You have two choices. You can only make one. He's either going to be Lord or he's not. He's going to be master and leader of your life or he's not. And we see this. Two very specific decisions that were made by the Magi and Herod. The wise men wanted to receive. Herod wanted to reject. He wanted his life to continue. The two were convinced, but two had very different ways of going about it. And see, here's the deal. We must be convinced about Jesus. You must have conviction if you're going to have expectation. But conviction, if it just stays conviction, it stays up in your head. You know, you, you can, we, can, we can talk about all the different facts about Jesus and all the different facts of the Bible, which are important. You have to have that. It's foundation. But if it stays up here, then you just know it. You're actually not letting it flow through your life. So this leads us to our second point. A spirit of expectation rises from a heart that's eager. It's eager. The biblical word eager is a readiness. If you're convinced, you need to stand ready to live in that conviction. It's a longing. It's a heart that is willing. You can know something, but not be willing to get off the bench. In the Western church, we have a problem with this, all right? And every one of us, uh, we will be accustomed to, by default, be bench warmers for Jesus, 
where we just sit there and consume, consume, and consume. I'm going to turn on some Christian radio. Hey, that's great, right? Uh, you know, I'm going to read the next Christian book. That's right. I'm going to consume things on YouTube. I'm going to put things on Spotify. I'm going to come to church, hopefully take a bunch of notes. Those are all good things. But in the Western church, our heads are ready to explode. Because we're not letting it go from the head to the heart where we're eager and willing. And so, listen, don't mishear me. I don't want you to be eager and, and go forward and, and do things without knowledge. We see that and we've seen the ramifications even in society where people get really passionate and do really bad things because they don't have the right conviction. But when you have the conviction in the Lord, it must make you willing and eager to do things for Jesus. It is faith in moving to what God has promised. Eagerness is when people have said there's no way, you're eager to say, no, there is another way. I'm gonna get on my knees, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna say, God, give me the vision. God, move the mountains. God, change the situation. And even if you don't change the situation, even if you don't do the things I'm asking you to do, I know you will give me the grace. I know you'll give me the strength to move through this situation despite my circumstances and be stronger in you. Because I know that I can't do all things to myself who strengthens me. I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the wise men, they had conviction to get off the bench. I imagine they read another prophecy. It was in Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. That means God's with us. These wise men knew we must find the virgin that gave birth to the king. They were convinced, and they weren't just sitting around saying, I wonder how this is going to play out, you know? Like sometimes if you're, you know, you're into politics or into history or whatever, you just kind of like turn on the TV armchair, sip a cup of coffee, and just kind of talk about it. That's not what the wise men did. The wise men got up and said, we got to do something about it. They were willing. They're eager. They're drawing up plans. How, how do we get there? What I absolutely love about the Magi is they were non-religious people by background, yet they heard about the Savior of the world. They were convinced to go into a foreign land, and they did it. They traveled almost a 1,000 miles from Iran into Israel, into, into Jerusalem, which was a night, or into Bethlehem, excuse me, which is a 19-day walk. They didn't have a car, mass transit, right? They had to walk, and if they walked continuously, it was night. 15 days to get there. That's conviction. That's eagerness. And the God of the universe helped guide them by a supernatural star. And being the king of the universe, he sovereignly made a supernatural star to lead them to the very home of which Jesus was staying. Jesus gave him GPS. And the wise men were convinced. They had hope in the Savior in the world. But their expectations of meeting the Savior was going to be met. Matthew 2, verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and that was... The star they had seen as it's rising, and it led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. They read the prophecies. They saw the star in the sky. They were eager and willing, and they got up off the bench and said, let's travel that thousand miles. Everybody's going to say we're crazy. Everybody's going to say we're mad. Everybody's going to say we're the crazy magi. We want to see the Savior. Let people say what they want. And when they saw him, verse 11, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. You know what I love about this? People ask, like, what happens when you're in the presence of the Almighty God? What happens when, uh, if, if, if Jesus were to show up? Exactly what the Magi did. We would be compelled to worship the king. They fell on their knees. They gave adoration to, to a king that was an infant. And they broke out. I imagine the Magi started singing. I imagine the Magi, as in, as in uh, what's accustomed to this part of the world, began to dance. I believe the Magi were just overwhelmed with joy that words couldn't even express. I bet there was even tears. Oh, yes, these rough and tumble Magi that went a thousand miles. They're probably all dusty. They're probably all dirty. And they were a sopping, weeping mess when they saw their Savior. They got off the bench and they went. In your conviction of who Jesus is this morning, how do you need to get off the bench? In, in your conviction of who Jesus is this morning, are you ready to worship and praise? For some of you, you know that Jesus came. For some of you, this is another Christmas and around the rodeo, right? Another round at the rodeo. 
Yeah, Jesus came to save the sins of the world. But this is our moment to say, you know what? We're going to get off the bench. For some of you, that means receiving Jesus into your life. Receiving Jesus as your Savior. For some of you, and listen, we're all tuned to this, right? Where you receive Jesus and then it kind of gets a little cold. It means that right now when you say, Jesus, raise my expectations what you can do. And even if you don't desire God, can we admit that? There's times you wake up and you know, man, I'm feeling not spiritual today. I'm feeling the exact opposite. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to pursue. But yet, guess what? When even you feel those moments, you need to say, God, I'm fighting through what I feel. I'm fighting through what I don't want or what I want, and I'm asking you, rise up the level of expectation in my life. Help me desire you. Help me see who you are for who you really are. Give me the heart to get going and be eager in your things. And oh, when you begin to pray those things, you're gonna think of every excuse not to do those things. You're gonna think of everybody that has wounded you. You're gonna think of everything that has gone wrong with you. You're gonna think of everything of why you shouldn't do because you're just in this pity party place and you wanna focus on it. And God's saying, stop, stand up, rise up. In your brokenness, he will raise the expectations. He will do the, the miraculous power of working in and through you who are a broken vessel. He's gonna demonstrate his glorious miracle. Your expectation will rise and fall wherever you're placing your hope. Expectation has conviction. It's eager. And third, the spirit of expectation rises from a heart of generosity. If you're really convinced and you're really eager, you're going to put in the energy of following after who you know is real and he's worth it all. Let's go back to the midst of time for a second, to the beginning of the pandemic. Do you remember those first few days? What were you all doing? Do you remember? Where were you at? What activity were you frantically doing and making sure you didn't miss out? You went to the grocery store. You, you got one or two carts. You filled up your cart with anything and everything. Because supposedly, there wasn't enough things in this world to make sure that you are going to be fed. You were afraid in that moment. And listen, I, we went to the grocery store too, okay? I'm not make, just making fun of you, making fun of me, all right, all right? So we thought in the moment that we're going to starve. So we filled our carts with sweet baby rays, barbecue sauce. We filled our carts with Cheetos. We filled our carts with Cheerios. And oh yes, we filled our carts with toilet paper. We remember those days, right? We filled our carts up with so much. We, we, we fell into what we thought in America was an abundance. If you said, hey, do you think the grocery store is going to run out of food? I'm like, no, 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 never. But now we all of a sudden we're afraid it was going to run out of food. And we went nuts. And because of our scarcity mindset, because we felt like there was going to be a problem in the supply chain where there's going to be no food for anybody, we did just that. We went to the grocery stores and we wiped them out. Woodman's had to close that first night. They said we had to close. I get, this is not making it up. We ran out of food. And they didn't run out of food because they couldn't get more food. They had more food that next morning. It's because we were afraid they were going to run out of that food. And we, when we get into this scarcity mindset, it becomes like this. I saw this example somewhere. I want to share it with you. We consume. We get all the food. We consume. And after we consume, we're like, we need more. We already have 35 loaves of bread in the freezer. We need more. So we lack and when we lack, we begin to fear. And as we fear, we consume. And as we consume, we lack. And as we lack, we fear. And as we fear, we consume. The scarcity mindset is numbing. The scarcity mindset will rob your soul of joy. The scarcity mindset forgets about our abundant, life-giving God. Now, all the experts are like when we went to the grocery store, stop, 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 there's enough food. What are you doing? You don't need, you don't need 35 bags of frozen peas. In fact, there was so much unused food in the supply chain, if you remember right, that farmers were dumping their milk in the fields. But you know what? There was one food that wasn't touched. And I want, I want to, I, there's two things I want to show you. If, if these things go missing in the grocery store, then indeed we may all starve, okay? So here's all the food was getting picked away. But I want to show you just a beautiful picture right here. Uh, there was some food that was left over. That was all the vegan food, all right? So in that moment, <laughs> vegans became meat eaters. 
Nobody wanted that stuff. I, I saw this on the internet, and, and, and literally, I'd go to the store, and I saw, I'd see the same thing at Meyer. And, and I can't eat eggs, so I could find my egg substitute. I was like, well, this is sweet, right? But I realized, if we were really starving, I think we'd eat tofu. But until the tofu is gone, I think we're going to be okay. And you want to know another secret? Shh, I was just told this this week. Um, look for the dog food. If we're really starving, you can eat dog food, okay? It's, you, I, don't, I don't recommend it, but it won't kill you. Like, if we were really out of food, be like, listen, sorry, photo, I'm eating your food today, all right? But yet we were convinced. We're running out of everything. We have a scarcity mindset. And if we're not careful, one of my greatest fears, and this will follow us the rest of our life. It will trickle down into our relationships. It will trickle down to what we believe God can do. It will trickle down in how we handle all of our possessions. I remember my grandma, she went through the Great Depression, and she was still jarring food in the 1990s. God bless her. You can do that as a hobby. But to be honest, she was always afraid of that next day when you couldn't get jam. The scarcity mindset, it can creep in how we use our time, who we spend our time with, how we use our possessions. But when your expectations are rising, when you're convinced and you're eager, you don't buy into that hype of the scarcity mindset. Look at verse 11 again. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned their own country by another route. When the wise men would finish praising and worshiping, they continued in their worship by knowing that, God, you are the great provider. And they gave Jesus the most costly gifts. Gold is the mo was the most precious metal known of the day. Frankincense was the most costly incense used for only the most important occasions. And I love this. It's kind of a weird gift. They gave myrrh, which is embalming fluid. If someone showed up to my birthday party with embalming fluid, I'd be offended, okay? But what's absolutely profound is the wise men just weren't reading the prophecies of his birth. They realized why he was born. They realized the life of which he was going to live. And they realized he was going to die for the sins of the world and that he was going to be buried and that he was going to be resurrected. And what they wanted to bring him is it would be an honor. When you save the world, this gift may be used. When you're expectant, you will worship God no matter how you feel. When you're expectant, you'll, you will let Jesus use whatever you treasure in your life. When you're expectant, your praises won't be withheld. If you're living with high levels of expectation, you will hold, you will hold on to the Lord. But if you're living with low levels of expectation, you will clench your fist and you'll hold on to what you have because you're so fearful that it'll go away. Are you living with clenched fists or hands out? clench fist of, God, I'm so afraid that I don't have enough. God, I'm so afraid of what's going to happen in my future. God, I'm so afraid I don't have enough time. Or, or hands out. Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. God is a great provider. But we're so fearful of, of the scarcity mindset and we're trying to just our way out of it, we gotta understand is he's the owner of the cattle of the thousand hills. He gives you every heartbeat that you experience when you're sleeping during the day. He gives you every day that you live. Have you ever wondered why some people, it just seems like they can accomplish so much in their day? Like, man, I just wish I had the time to do that. You know you do, right? They don't have 25 hours in a day. They have 26 hours in a day. They have the same 24 hours as you. 
And so when people are like, yeah, hey, you know, uh, join a life group, or hey, will you, you go help out the neighbor over here, or hey, will, you know, will you sit down and will you just get a date with your spouse, or hey, will you we just, you know, read your Bible, and you know, and people usually say, oh, I just wish I could do all that. I just don't have the time. Scarcity of mindset, right? I don't have the time. No, you do have the time. It's that you're not making time, right? That's what you need to understand. And, I'm, and listen, you may say no to different things because you're prioritizing things or, or there's a reason why you can't make time. Maybe your job's at a certain time. I get that. But we have to get out of our mind that we don't have enough time. It's that we are not making time. And when we begin to look at it that way, we realize, God, I want to give you the most of my time. Uh, everybody has the same 24. And Lord, I want to give you the best of that 24. He supplies all of our stuff in our life, all of our possessions. Everything that we have is on loan from the Lord of God Almighty. Oh, we hate hearing that. Oh, no, I don't. Some people are like, why does the church always talk about money and possessions? Well, the Bible talks about it 800 times. Jesus talked, it's one of, it was one of Jesus' favorite topics. Why? It's not because he's in love with money. No, he says the root of all evil is the love of money. He knows that the things on loan to us can own us. And they'll become our Lord. They'll become our Savior. Nothing that we have in this life, we will take to eternity. Do you know that? We brought nothing into this world, and we'll take nothing out of this world. And so, God, how can I use what I have in my life? How can I open my home? How can I, how can I, what, what, how can I use this to further your kingdom? Expectation of the Lord breaks the scarcity cycle. We realize we can love people, we can give grace to people, because God is able to give us even when we feel broken, even when we feel empty. Your expectation will rise and fall where you place your hope. Conviction, eagerness, generosity. So how is your supply chain of expectation this morning? Where have you been disrupted? Let's talk about disruptions first. What lowers your expectation of what God can do? Number one, it's most likely voices of critical spirits. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. People that no matter what you do, it's never good enough, right? Or, or, or there may be people that no matter what you do or what you say about the Lord, it's like, you know, it's just dismissive. Now, listen, we aren't told to just be around people that are easy. Uh, you're called to, to bless difficult people and even love your enemies. But do you let that person live rent free up here? Voices of critical spirits. Number two, voices of past guilt. This could be unconfessed sin. This is sin that you're letting linger in your life and you're feeling the guilt of that. That may lower your expectations of what God can do for you. Or it could be things that you have talked to God about. You've been, God forgave you of those sins and you keep on getting that shovel out and digging up those past sins and beating the tar out of yourself for it. Things that Jesus has already forgiven and thrown at the bottom of the sea and doesn't remember anymore. Because we get that shovel, it's like, I can't believe I did this. It's the enemy now throwing it in your face what God has forgiven you of. Your expectations have been lowered. Third reason why there's a disruption in the supply chain of our expectations could be the voices of our environment. John Oldberg said this, what we think about determines who we will become. Your environment, let's just, your mind. What do you allow just to ping back and forth in your mind? What's lowering your expectations? Let's talk about how to raise those expectations, how to raise them. Number one is the voice of God. Getting in his word, allowing the spirit of God to speak through his word, allowing the spirit of God to speak and lead you through the day. Number two, a voice of praise. We don't withhold our praise. With those magi, they were tired. Uh, I'm sure they wanted to take a nap and said they realized this is the moment of their life. Did you know what the magi, what they were able to do? We are able to do every single day of our life. When we come together as a church, we can do exactly what the magi did. Because here's the deal, is that Jesus is in heaven and he's coming back. But he's given us his Holy Spirit as a down payment so that we can experience the Spirit of God just like they did in the night in the manger. Man, may we be overcome with praise. That's going to raise your expectations. Number three, voices of grace and truth. You need people to speak truth and be graceful in your life. It's okay not to be okay. What's disrupting your supply chain of expectations? What do you need to put into it? So Father, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are. 
and what you've done for us. Father, we pray that you would, in this place, rise up a level of expectation that we've never experienced in our life. Not because it was conjured up in our own strength. It's because we're seeing you for who you really are. The Lord God Almighty, who knows every hair in our head, knows our name, knows our story, and knows how we feel. God, I pray that you would speak very specifically to us right now what is disrupting that supply of your expectation in our life. God, I pray you release us of that critical voice that we keep hearing. God, release us of the condemnation we feel because of our past mistakes and sin. Help the person that is living in sin right now submit to you and confess their sins today. And God, I pray that we would surround ourselves with people that will speak truth and grace to us. Raise up the level of joy, hope, and expectation. Thank you for being the Emmanuel God with us. As we continue to pray, and what I want you to do is just ask God what is disrupting your supply chain of expectation. But I want to talk to anybody in this room right now that that doesn't know Jesus. You've never received him. You've heard about him. But you need to be like the wise men right now and receive him. This is how you receive him. By believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. Placing your faith and trust in what Christ did alone. You see, he created you to have a relationship with him, but you sinned. Sin means that you've done something wrong. You've missed the mark. It's an old archery term. You missed the mark of God's holiness. And what we try to do is we try to make things right with God, but there's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. It's not by works that you can do. It's by God's grace, the Bible says. So if you want a relationship with Jesus, you must believe on him right now. You must receive the grace that he's giving you, and this is how he gave this grace to you. He died on the cross. He was born in a manger. He lived to die for you on the cross to save you from your sins that separate you from God. Because Jesus was a perfect, sinless sacrifice, death couldn't keep him. He rose from the dead. His resurrection proves that Jesus is who he says he is. And your response now is saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you as my Savior. I'm placing my faith and trust in you alone. For those of you today saying, I want to be like the wise men. I want to receive him. I just don't want to know about him. I want to receive him. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone right now. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, just lift up your hand up high and say, yeah, that's me. I want to, I want to thank you. I, I, I want to place my faith and trust in Christ alone. Anybody else? So, Father, we pray for those that are saying yes to you today. That today they would begin to walk a life of faith, knowing that you have done it all on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church Podcast.